G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Why can't I be free to live as I see fit as long as I don't hurt anybody? Because it's unworkable. There are simply some things you were not made to do. And if you do them, you'll end up using your freedom to take away your freedom. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And in this episode, we'll hear a message in the Questions series as Pastor Jeff addresses questions from his church community. This topic, it's something I'm sure all of us have asked at one time or another. Why can't I be free to live as I like? Here's Pastor Jeff to start the message. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Two verses, three actually, just filled with all kinds of wealth for us, especially uh, determining today's topic and trying to sort our, our way to navigate some difficult issues. We're in a series called Questions, and uh, we ask you to write in and to frame your question in questions my friend would like to ask, the church or the pastor. And let me first of all say the reason this is important is our heartbeat is for people who are far from God. We feel it's the call of God on our lives to be ambassadors and to go out into our world and not just to preach at people, but to take them by the hand one life at a time and help them on their spiritual journey that those who are far from God would come near to God. So everything we do, every decision that we make, every dime that we spend in this church is related back to are we helping people far from God Come near to God. Now, would you like to guess what the number one question? All right, we had a lot of questions, but what is the number one question that kind of came through the other questions? There's a common chord kind of intertwined between every query, and uh, it's related to this truth right here. One of the number one barriers for people coming to faith in Christ is that they believe that religion is the enemy to fun. (laughs) right? Why would I ever want to become a Christian? Because at that point, all fun ends. The philosophy of fun in the Christian worldview is no fun at all. In fact, here's the way the question is worded. It's related to that philosophy of fun. Why can't I be free to live as I see fit as long as I don't hurt anybody? Okay, why, why can't I live as I see fit, as long as I don't hurt anybody. Now, before I approach this from the passage and Jesus' own words, let's first of all look at this from a philosophical or pragmatic point of view. Does this work just in everyday life? Not that, not that Jesus isn't pragmatic, but let's first take a, just a good look at the question itself. Here's the problem. Number one, why can't I live as I see fit as long as I don't hurt anybody? Because it's unworkable, because there are times in your life when what you want to do is in conflict with something else that you want to do. Think about it just for a moment. 
You can't eat whatever you want to eat and enjoy your grandchildren. If you eat cheeseburgers three times a day, you're not going to live long enough to tell the story. And when your grandchildren come along, you're going to be dead. Uh, You can't ride your bicycle without a helmet and expect to enjoy a long and productive pain-free life. I'm a living, breathing testimony to this. You, you can't have a happy marriage and sleep with whomever you choose. A lot of guys have tried this. doesn't work. You can't succeed in school unless you put some restrictions on yourself and say no to drinking and partying and going out when you should be studying. You can't have good relationships, good friendships, unless you're restricting some of your impulses or movements. You can't be a great athlete if you don't restrict your diet and increase your level of exercise. The point is, this whole thing about I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody, why can't I do that, is because life just simply doesn't work like that. A livable, happy, fulfilling life includes accepting enormous constraints on your life. So you can't do whatever you want because your wants will often conflict. In other words, you can't both ride a skateboard on the 210 and live. You can't do both. You're free to do them, but what you'll find yourself doing is using your freedom to take away your freedom. If you're dead, (laughs) you're not really free to do what you want to do. Now, here's where the objection comes in when I have these conversations at some of our university campuses. Somebody will say, but wait a minute, Pastor Jeff. These restrictions or restraints are the ones I've chosen, so that still makes me free by today's definition of freedom. Uh, because I'm still doing what I want to do. The reality is that that's far too simplistic. If you, and if you think about it, from one standpoint, the way we define freedom today is different from the way we used to define it. Today, freedom is defined as a total autonomy with no restraints or restrictions whatsoever. And we've never defined freedom like that. I can also understand why that this generation is a little bit suspect of authority. Think about it. They've lived, they've grown up in a world where leaders have constantly lied to them, coerced them, manipulated them. So of course they're suspicious of some authority coming and saying, we think you ought to live this way. But the reality is, if you take the position that you should be able to do whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, the first fault is that There are simply some restrictions set up in life that you don't choose. They choose you. It's more you submitting to them in order that you may keep your freedom. Again, you're free to smoke like a chimney if you want to, but when you get COPD in your later life, which you will get, then you'll realize you've used your freedom to take away your freedom. Look, I'm 52 years old. It's amazing the way I thought when I was 32. I thought when I was 32 that one day by the time I'm 50, because when you're 30, 50's ancient. 50's like, what are you still doing here? You should be dead by now. And so when you're 30 or 32, I'm thinking, I can't wait till the day comes when I don't work anymore. And I can golf every day and I can go mountain climbing and I can go biking and hiking and I can travel and see the world. And now at 52, I'm tired. <laughs> I just want to go home and go to bed. So that by the time you have the freedom to do what you want to do, unless you've restricted yourself when you're young, you won't be able to. You just won't be able 
to be healthy enough to do the things you really want to do. If you refuse to submit to the natural order of things, you're going to end up riding a chair for the last 30 years of your life. But if you submit to them, you may end up like this woman who's 100 years old and still does push-ups. It all relates to design. What were you designed to do? And if you work within the design and you know the designer, that's where true freedom exists. It's like a sailboat. A sailboat's meant to sail on the open water at high speeds. But if you take the boat into shallow water and you face it in the wrong direction toward the wind, disintegration will set in. It will capsize. It will find itself floundering on the rocks. That's why I've said that if you violate the design, whatever it is in any area, disintegration will set in. And I read this passage a few weeks ago out of 1 Corinthians six eighteen: Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What's the point? The point is you were designed. You need to know the designer. You need to see the manual on you so that you know the appropriate ways to use it so that disintegration does not set in. So we said that when a Christian says that sex is reserved between a man and a woman in the act of marriage, we don't do it because we want to be the big bad cosmic boss. We're trying to relate to you that this is the manual we've received from the maker. And we know that if we live in these parameters, then we are truly free to enjoy life. Once you get outside of them, disintegration sets in. So human beings, knowing that we thrive in certain environments and break down in others, it's important to know who the designer is. So again, qu quickly, why can't I be free to live as I see fit as long as I don't hurt anybody? Because it's unworkable. There are simply some things you were not made to do. And if you do them, you'll end up using your freedom to take away your freedom. Here's the second reason. It's unfair. Every time I go on the internet, I see these, uh, you know, you know what I feel about selfies, you know. <laughs> selfies, that's just what we call things because most of us can't spell narcissism. And so <laughs> we take these selfies and I see captions that say, I am responsible only to myself. No one has the right to tell me what to do. Now here's the problem with that. That would be true only if there had been no one ever invest in you. If you were totally self-made and were not dependent on anybody else for anything, then you would be truly free. And the question is, when is that ever true? In the real world, our lives are inherently dependent on others and subject to forces and circumstances beyond our control. But you say, but Pastor Jeff, why is it unfair, unfair to do whatever I want to do as long as I don't hurt anybody? Well, the answer is because you're not a product of self. <laughs> In the movie Calvary, 2014, it's about a priest, a very faithful, honorable man who has a daughter and his daughter's trying to justify why it's okay for her to commit suicide. And she makes the statement in the movie, I belong to myself, not to anybody else. And his response to her is, that's true, but that's also false. Stay with me. You know, my high school basketball coach still calls me. It's been 30 some years and he still calls me from time to time. And he says, you're special. Now, I don't know what he means by that. <laughs> I choose to believe he's not referring to the size of bus that I took to school, but you're special. <laughs> the first thing he asks me when he calls is, 
How is my investment going? You hear what he's saying? He said, are you leading your family well? Are you worshiping your God? Are you helping those who are less fortunate? Are you thanking the man upstairs? What's his point? He's checking on his investment. There are hundreds and hundreds of boys that he's coached through high school basketball, and he's wanting to know how his investments are doing because we belong to each other. No man is an island. Other lives have impacted us and we impact other people. So notice how the priest responds to his daughter when she says, I belong to myself, not to anybody else. Therefore, I have the right to take my own life. He says, to commit suicide is to strike a blow and inflict a pain on many that will never be healed. The question is, what right do you have to darken their lives permanently? You're using your freedom to take away somebody else's freedom to live a peaceful life. Now, can I just take a time out and turn into an apologist just for a moment? You had to know this was coming. It's interesting to me when I meet, uh, when I was in Arizona State a few years ago with Ravi, uh, Zacharias in apologetic meetings, I had a student, many conversations, but a student said, I don't, I don't see what the problem is. I should be able to do whatever I want as long as I don't harm anybody. And he, he referred to that as that's our new morality. Tim Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, New York Times bestseller, says freedom is sometimes said to be the only unconditional good our society agrees on. And it is argued the only one we can really need or we really need. Why, why try to impose a set of moral rights and wrongs on everyone? This is the accusation people make against the Christians. We don't want to be like the moralistic societies of the past. Indeed, we should agree on just one thing, that everyone should be free to live as they desire as long as they don't harm anybody else. Does anyone see the inherent wrong in these statements? The first is this. You've not gotten rid of a moral code. You've just replaced the biblical moral code with your own personal moral code. And now you say that morality is based on the fact of whether you hurt anybody. Well, my question is, says who? And who says it's wrong to harm anybody? Where's your objective authority for that? I met a young lady in the fireside room a few weeks ago, and I could tell she wasn't really happy to be there that somebody brought her against her will, probably her mother. And I looked at her and I said, hey, welcome, glad you're here. I don't think I recognize you. And she said, well, you don't recognize me because I don't come here. I said, okay. I thought, well, she's pretty bold. I can be bold back. Why don't you come here? And she said, well, I'm agnostic. I'm not, I don't really believe in God. I said, well, are you agnostic or atheist? Atheist, you don't believe in God. There is no God. Agnostic, you say, well, you don't, but if you're open to the evidence. So are you open to the evidence? She said, what? <laughs> so I can tell she hadn't thought this through. She goes, well, I don't come to church because I believe everybody should just be able to do what they want to do as long as they don't harm anybody. And I said, okay, fine. Now tell me your definition of harm and give me your objective source so that whatever you believe is what I should believe, or is harming somebody based on everybody's feelings and emotions. Who determines what hurt is, is my question. Is hurt physical, or does it include emotional and psychological hurt? Because if it does, that means if you cheat on your husband, that should be morally wrong, because you will hurt him. We know now that when two people are divorced, that kids aren't as resilient as we used to think in the 70s, that it does impact the kids. Now, I'm not here to make you feel guilty if you've been through a divorce. It's life. It's life and living. I'm simply saying, by those standards, that we should be able to do whatever we want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. My goodness, everything we do hurts somebody. So it's not as morally free as you're trying to suggest that it is. The system of morality only works if we all agree on what constitutes harm. 
And how can we know what constitutes harm, what constitutes harm, unless we define what good and thriving living is? And how can we define what good and thriving living is unless there's an objective source somewhere, a God, to tell us how we were designed and what works and what doesn't work? It ties back to those four questions of origin, meaning, morality, destiny. You have to know the designer to know how you're designed to know what harms you and what does not. It can't be subjective. So it's hypocritical when I meet someone that says, well, I live by my own moral code as long as I don't harm anyone. So what you're doing is you're forcing a new morality on me. And that's the thing you're complaining about the Christians, that they force their morality on you. There's a fundamental problem in America. We claim as though morals are subjective, that right and wrong is determined by each individual. But we don't live that way. Think about it. What is the number one protesting university in America? <laughs> Berkeley. Berkeley, that is the number one protesting university that they protest everything. Now here's the problem. In their ethics classes, they teach that no one should have to believe, when it comes to morality, what somebody else believes, that morals, right and wrong, are left up to each individual. Well, if that's true, why are you protesting anything? <laughs> By nature of you protesting something, you're assuming that somebody's morality is not right. You're claiming that injustice does indeed exist. I don't get it. First, you tell me I'm, I am have the right to believe what I want to believe about the world and everything else. I can establish my own moral code and then you protest against me when your moral code doesn't agree with mine. <laughs> See, we claim it, but nobody lives that way. Why can't I be free to live as I see fit as long as I don't hurt anyone? Number one, it's unworkable. There are simply some things you're not made to do. Number two, it's unfair because it denies the reality that people have invested in you, you've invested in others. Three, it's unimaginable because we're never going to agree on what hurt is. As a matter of fact, think about it. If we defined morality that way, isn't it true that we not only tolerate adultery in America, we glamorize it. But I thought you said that we shouldn't ever do anything that hurts another person. It's not consistent. Here's the fourth reason. It's uncouth. <laughs> now, this is where we turn third and we start headed home. I need your undivided attention. These are some, these are some heavier thoughts, but I promise if you stay with me uh, that when we hit home plate, it, it'll become clear and I think it, it'll be gold because it comes from Jesus, not from me. We are free to love, aren't we? That's a beautiful thing about living. You can choose who you're going to love. It's your choice. It's a wonderful and glorious thing to be in love and to be loved. If you're honest with yourself, you know that ultimately that's what we're all looking for. Someone to have all the goods on us and still love us. But the soon as you get into a love relationship and the deeper and more intimate that you become, the more wonderful love becomes but there's something else that comes with love. You give up your independence. You can't have one without doing the other. Let me give you the example again. Let's say after the third service today that I get in my car and I start driving toward Vegas and I'm not home about seven o'clock at night and my wife Robin calls me and says, Jeff, honey, where are you? Now imagine my response being, I don't have to tell you where I am. You're not the boss of me. I belong to myself. 
I can do whatever I want. No one has the right to tell me or determine how I live. Now, for those of you who know Robin, <laughs> there'll be a silence on the other end of the line. And then I would imagine something like, do you know how close you are to the end of your life? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't be completely free the way we want to define freedom, total unrestriction, and simultaneously be in a strong love relationship. In marriage, if one or both parties say or act like, hey, me first, my needs first, it's about me, then the relationship ultimately will struggle and die. But if there's mutual submission where both parties habitually say, you know what? You first, sweetheart. I will adjust for you. I'll sacrifice my needs to meet yours. If both are doing that, then there's no exploitation. And there's a relationship of great richness that is in store the more you grow in love. Now, here's the key to this message. The mutual sacrifice of autonomy leads to a wonderful kind of liberation that only love can bring. Bring that up there again. The mutual sacrifice of autonomy, in other words, I'm giving up my autonomy, you're giving up yours, leads to a wonderful kind of liberation that only love can bring. How can that be true that by giving up my freedom to do whatever I want to do that I end up finding that I'm incredibly liberated? And how do we know that only love can bring that kind of liberation? Now, stay with me. This is where you got to walk with me through this. When I was younger for most of my life, the most free that I felt during a weekend is on Sunday night around seven o'clock. For about a period of, say, 12 hours, I felt incredibly free. Here's why. Because for the first years of my ministry, my significance, my self-worth, my self-esteem was all tied to how well I did on the weekend. Okay? So if I walked off the stage after a weekend and I went home and I felt I had done a good job, then I felt valuable. I felt that my life had purpose and meaning. And so for those few hours, I was no longer trying to get those kind of things from things that were never meant to deliver them. Or was I? See, pastors fall into this trap as well. So my, my hope, my purpose, my significance, everything was tied to my job. That's a horrible life to live because I would only have a few hours of peace until Monday morning came and guess what happened? It all started again. And then as I got older, things changed. I fell deeper and deeper in love with my wife. And then I started to notice that this may be a deposit or kind of like a, an installment in a, in a greater capacity. Because I noticed that the more I fell in love with my wife, the less I needed everything else in the world that I thought could give me the things that only my wife could give. Because she would love me unconditionally. My significance and my purpose and my meaning and my self-esteem and self-worth came from my love relationship with her. And yet still something was missing, but I was getting closer. You see, so now because I had in my relationship with my wife, the things I was looking for, the things that we're ultimately all looking for, what happened is I started to experience the things that previously I had used as a means to give me self-esteem, self-worth, value. I started to use those more in an appropriate fashion. 
My relationships take on new meaning too. I don't use people and my friends as a means to an end. I actually invest in them because I don't need to get out of them what I used to have to get out of them. Now I get that out of my wife and kids. So I actually treat them well. And my hobbies take on new meaning. I don't play golf to show all my friends I can beat them. I don't need to win at golf to feel like I have value, that I have self-esteem and self-worth. Now I actually enjoy the game. I enjoy the game now more than I ever have because I'm not misusing it and expecting it to deliver something that it is impossible to deliver. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Our society's in trouble because modern people are in complete denial that we are all driven by something and thus every single one of us is in a slave-master relationship. Everybody has a master and everybody's slave to something and it's the thing that you think is going to deliver your self-worth. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.